Hello and welcome to this episode of the ISBA BursaCast podcast. This episode is going to be a Tuesday version of the Friday Focus special. So don't panic, you haven't missed a week of school. Now, in this episode, we're going to be speaking to two members of HCR, Harrison Clark Rickaby, in the form of Colin Jones and Catherine Gilbertson. I'll introduce them fully in just a moment. We're also going to be joined by Rex Sartain, a member of the advice and guidance team within the ISBA. Today's episode is to get down to the nitty gritty of the rack issue and the intertwined issue of asbestos that is also there and general regulations around construction. This episode is going to be about 25 minutes long. It goes into detail about how to find whether you have rack in your school, what it actually is, how to deal with it, who you should go to, what are the implications, what are the costs, are there sanctions? All of this is answered in this episode. So strap in. Here we go. Well, today I'm joined by a, a full panel of guests for this episode to discuss the breaking issue. Well, not really. It's kind of an issue that's been working for ages and has finally kind of become visible, uh, but the rack concrete stuff. And so we're joined by Harrison Clark Rickaby, specifically. We're joined by Catherine Gilbertson, who is a member of the Insurance Risk and Regulatory Team. Is that right? That's correct, yes. Marvellous. Always get a worry, I'll say that wrong. And then Colin Jones, who is part of the Head of Construction and Legal Services. So it's going to help us go over all of those things as well. Thank you, Colin. And to bolster the ISBA team, we've got Rex Sartain from the Advice and Guidance team to really weigh in with some useful insights for us all to, to take down. Anyway, the issue that's come to light this week from well, it's been on the front page of all the papers, really, is this issue of rack concrete and schools needing to close as soon as term starts. Colin, what actually is the issue here and, and how is it affecting particularly independent schools? Well, I mean, the, the, a lot of the attention at the moment is aimed at the public sector. and But there's no question about it that rack was widely used as a building material, rightly or wrongly. And in fact, there are many reports to today questioning why it was ever used as a form of concrete in buildings from the 1950s uh, through to about the 1990s. And bear in mind that it could have been used in new builds or in forms of refurbishment. It was seen as a lighter weight form of concrete, so commonly used on roofing, but in various other parts of the building structure. The issue with rack is that effectively it's an aerated structure. And one of the issues that it encounters is that if it gets damp, certainly sitting up on the roof, if it isn't maintained sufficiently, then it can start to crack and crumble, generic terms. It's said to have a lifespan of 30 years. One person's 30 years is a different uh, thing to another 30 years. So the issue is broadly wide, widely spread for those parts of the public estate which are impacted and not just schools but we're now hearing about court buildings and also uh, hospital buildings. The extent to which this applies to maintain schools, well it certainly applies in the context of academies if you call them um, independent schools uh, but it may well be present in many buildings of a certain age. So I think it's something that all proprietors of older buildings should be alive to. That is, in very general terms, the issue uh, that is uh, one that people are now very much concerned about. That was really helpful for getting an idea of of just what the issue is. And as you say, it doesn't really matter what 
whether it's maintained or not, it's, it's about the buildings that were there. And it's commonly found usually in, in roofs rather than walls, is that right? Well, I think it can be found in any part of buildings. Sometimes it's within a building, part of a building. Uh, the school I'm a governor at, for example, uh, which is based here in Cambridge, uh, has a number of outbuildings and there's a scurry going on at the moment to assess where there may be some rack. And the view is that it certainly isn't in uh, the main building structures, but there's outbuilding structures. But the issue that came to light over the course of the summer was when a beam collapsed in a, uh, a school in, uh, in Kent. And, and so it can be in any part of a structure. Uh, so uh, that, that is the issue and understanding where it is, the extent to which it's well beyond any sort of lifespan uh, and the extent to which it's now a risk to those who are uh, kids in schools or people occupying or coming onto school sites uh, and beyond. Yeah, I guess one of the um, issues is that a number of schools will only have just discovered uh, RAC. And I, I wonder how, how is it that they uh, are able to look for it, investigate for it, or find someone who knows something about it and go uh, and can advise the school? This is not a new topic. Um, and uh, there are specialist surveyors and others who, even as we speak, there are many hundreds of them, presumably uh, being paid an awful lot of money by the DFE to go out and examine sites uh, and to examine where there may be rack. What was happening in the investigation that the DFE launched last year was that schools were asked to return a survey as to whether or not they had rack. Not all schools did return that survey. And I don't know to what extent that DFE model was applied across the independent sector. I suspect it was very sporadic, if anything. But that gave guidance as to what to look for and what to examine. And the DfE has since issued recommendations and guidance as to how you manage RAC. So the, the problem at the moment is it's just not known the extent of the problem. But in terms of how you obtain suitable advice, there are certainly specialist surveyors and engineers who are out there able to come along to help to support. I was going to suggest that you start off by looking at your building from the outside um, and date it because we're looking at a problem from 1950s, 60s to 1990s onwards. Then you look at your building from point of view, does it have a flat roof? That tends to have rack. And then you um, sort of peel the leaves off uh, this, uh, just like um, peeling an onion. You get to the core of it. You, you will find, you, if you start asking certain questions, you will discover whether you have the issue. And it's following that route path through that you will find whether you've got it or not. And it, using your eyes to start with, of, do I fit the criteria? Does my building look as if it was built in the 1970s with a flat roof with a concrete beam along the, the top of the windows of where the roof fits the, the building? Mm, that's probably going to fall into this criteria of a building I need to have surveyed properly. And unfortunately, many schools do not have structural engineers as part of their building maintenance and facilities team. So unfortunately, we're going to have to go out and speak to specialists to come in and do it for us. So we're going to look for a structural surveyor, uh, a proper engineer who's qualified to do this work. And as Colin said, there are experts out there that can help. And equally, we can refer people to experts if they needed to. That's really useful. Thanks so much. 
so the, the next step, I suppose, once it's discovered that you perhaps do have rack, what are the steps that should be taken? Because I've seen writings that say you must, you know, support it with the exterior buttresses. Ultimately, we're going to have to rebuild these structures at some point. But what actually is the, the next steps to take when rack is found? Well, the, D- the DfE published some quite detailed guidance, which we uh, have commented on in the, in, in the very recent past. But there's some quite clear and useful uh, steps that should be taken in terms of the proper management and, and, and maintenance of rack. As part of it is down to maintenance. So, for example, as Catherine said, if you have rack on the roofing and that rack is getting wet, uh, then any lifespan of 30 years is, is, is going to be much, much considerably shortened. Not every case will require the buttressing and the emergency replacement. And in fact, as we may come on to talk about later, there could be potentially other issues that could arise if there's uh, emergency or premature uh, attempts to remove rack because old buildings may have lots of other problems. But certainly I would refer any uh, ISPA member to the DFE's own website and guidance on how you can take suitable steps to uh, assess the condition of rack uh, and also uh, what you can do in terms of proper maintenance. And that could be as simple as ensuring that if you have waterproof membranes over roofs, those are properly maintained. Certainly ensuring that heavy loads on areas of your building that does have rack and you need to identify that are removed. So, for example, heavy loads could be replaced with lighter uh, wood chippings and so on. And certainly you will need to have a proper record. But all of this is a bit piecemeal. And I don't think there's probably any alternative in light of the issues which have arisen. And given that many rack buildings will be now up to their 30-year lifespan, that you've got to consider, and I don't think how you can do otherwise, commissioning a proper survey and report as to the condition of the building, where you have rack if you have it at all, uh, and if you do have it, what you might need to do immediately or in the near future to address any potential risk or issues. I I just don't see how you can now uh, just do otherwise uh, than, than that. I mean, Catherine, you may have a view on that from a regulatory point of view. Well, my view is there should be a proper in-depth survey, and that might involve having a number of engineers on site doing that for you. And that will probably involve physical damage to the building whilst they're checking what is there and how bad a condition it's in. So there will be holes in ceilings and elsewhere. And as a result of that, they could find other issues such as problems with asbestos or even uh, problems with aged electrical supply systems. So so the fixed wiring for the building could well be found to be uh, out of date and and needing repair as well. So it's almost as if it's a can of worms that have been opened at a very short time frame for people to think about and fix because it's the school term reopening in the matter of days for many people. So is there currently or are there currently regulations in place for how regularly school buildings in the independent sector should be reviewed? For the, for the public sector, for the state sector, the DfE has some very clear guidance, which includes the requirement to undertake regular reviews, but there's no specific number of days. But the point I think Catherine was going on to make, and she's more than capable of making it herself, is that employers um, have an obligation to those that go onto their sites and work within their buildings or are visitors and so on. Um, and so that will drive 
uh, what needs to happen in terms of regular maintenance and inspection. The asbestos topic, which we're coming on to, is a, is, is a much heavily regulated, much regulated area uh, and is relevant here. But certainly in terms of RAC, um, what will drive the need for uh, regular inspections will be an understanding of what you've got already, its condition, uh, and advice as to what the next steps may be in terms of that, that material. It would be nice to think that when a building is handed over to a school, um, there is a document containing all the information about that, that building, when it was built, what materials were used, how often they should be inspected, etc. And that is certainly the case now for new buildings. But I would doubt very much there is anything going back to the 1960s of value that people can use unless they've got someone who's been with the organisation a very long time in their perhaps maintenance and facilities team who's kept good records that they can refer back to. But not everybody has that, um, unfortunately. And whilst there is a requirement under the Health and Safety at Work Act for people to take care of the health and safety of third parties, which are the pupils and uh, um, any visitors on site, there isn't a, a requirement to say you will check this piece of, of material every three years or every, every 18 months, whatever. It's about you knowing your building and what is required for you. So it, it requires you to have some insight and some um, skill to decide how often should I be checking. Okay, sure. So Rex, from a bursar's sort of point of view, is there anything you wanted to question with that? I think there are two key questions a bursar would want to know uh, right now, particularly, and, uh, and, and lest we forget really that there are an awful lot of bursars out there without estates uh, experience, but with very good uh, maintenance and estate teams. But I guess the two questions are, where would you go for uh, advice, bearing in mind that you want it quite quickly? Uh, and secondly, what is the rough order cost for something uh, like a uh, initial inspection? I broke up with the first part, but the second part, I think, was a cost for an inspection. Uh, and to be honest, Rex, that's going to be a little bit like a piece of string, uh, and it will depend on locality and demand. I very much expect that a lot of fairs who specialise in this area are suddenly going to find themselves in great demand. I think the reality is that a proper building survey of a structure of the size of a school, to the extent that you can uh, quantify that, you are likely be, to be talking uh, four to five thousand pounds as a minimum. Uh, I would have thought uh, that's the sort of figure that you might start with. Much more may be involved depending upon the issues that are being confronted with. Um, I'm sure there's a significant difference if I'm going to survey Stowe School as opposed to if I'm going to survey a much smaller little countryside prep school, for example. So, But the cost will be significant. But I think you need to say to yourself, as I have a responsibility to the pupils, to my staff and to visitors coming onto my school, this has to be part and parcel of the regular maintenance program that um, responsible employers and proprietors of, of schools need to need to allow for. And then the, the first part of that that you didn't quite hear is where should bursars go to to find that information or, or to, to request those uh, well, There are two elements inspections. to this. Number one is how do you make sure you keep the contents of that report safe so it doesn't go all over the press by mistake? And number two is 
you know, who are you going to choose to do the job? So my first thought would go to a lawyer first, and then you, then they help you choose the right person to um, come on site. And I, I hear there's a very good uh, law firm called Harrison Clark Rickabees with a great department in this. Be, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think to be fair, what I, what I would say. I mean, clearly, if there is an issue, then you you know you might have a legal legal concern. The bodies like the RSCS, the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, and others of that ilk will have suitably qualified surveyors uh, with a free to access website. And very commonly, I find that schools, the estates team, the maintenance team, they will have good local uh, surveying contacts, just be wary that your general surveyor may well not be sufficiently suited to be qualified for this, but they may be uh, able to point you in the right direction. Uh, but bodies such as the RSES and others uh, will be certainly geared up to point you uh, to the right people. Um, it is important that you get someone who is suited to be qualified to assess such matters. Uh, this will not be the matter for a, a, a generalist surveyor, I, I would say. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Just to add to that, uh, the uh, the business directory in the ISBA uh, website does hold a bunch of potential people to ask as well, and it looks as though I don't. Uh, and, I, and would you go to the school architect initially as well? Uh, might he have or she have a? a they contact? might. They, they might. They might well do. Um, this wouldn't be a matter for an architect. I know that wasn't what you were suggesting, Rex. This is much more of an engineering matter. So it's either going to be a specialist building surveyor or it's going to be a structural engineer. Um, uh, so that's the discipline you'll be looking for, which is why I'm saying this is not a sort of a general surveyor matter. Uh, certainly, for example, a land surveyor, valuation surveyor, for example. But certainly your sort of regular architect could well give you a lead, um, but this would be something beyond the skill of an architect, I would say. And then touching on what you sort of mentioned earlier, Colin, about the asbestos, you know, in the rush to quickly check for rack, you might accidentally cause some, some further damage. And I mean, what steps should employers take to protect employees from asbestos exposure during, you know, demolition, maintenance, or other work that may disturb the asbestos? And what are the training requirements? Well, th this is a very heavily regulated area. It has been since the 1960s. Um, asbestos forms of fibrous materials, which were found to be capable of being manufactured in a way that could be uh, used in building materials of one form or another, flooring tiles, for example, um, panels on roofings or walls, um, or sometimes as an insulator around pipes, very, very widely used. It's actually partly originally a natural substance, and but and if left inert and not disturbed, asbestos can be said to be fine. But if disturbed, drilled into, uh, broken up, then the risk is that the asbestos particles are released into the air, uh, and extremely difficult uh, issues can arise for health and safety. And that is the concern. But in terms of what every employer, uh, every party involved in the management of a non-domestic premises has already some very, very uh, seriously applied regulations that have been in place uh, for quite some years and which are regularly uh, updated. And what that involves is 
uh, a regular survey, uh, being clear as to where asbestos may be within your building, being very clear as to how that asbestos material is managed and monitored. This is not something that is done and treated lightly. Uh, and so it should already be very much part of the regular building program uh, reviewed on an annual basis. Um, Catherine, you may have something to add to that. I would expect every school to have an asbestos register. Uh, so they should know the location of asbestos already. The difficulty is, of course, that sometimes you've got suspended ceilings and nobody's lifted the tile to check what's above that. And that's when you discover, oh, we have um, some asbestos fibres we weren't expecting to find there. And that's when it can then become liberated uh, into the air without intention, but it does become liberated into the air and can pose a risk to workers and anybody who's walking along a corridor or in that area. So you would expect the structural surveyor who's going to go in and look at the rack to be working alongside um, an asbestos expert because you don't know what you're going to find unless you've got a really good asbestos register that you've kept up to date. And that will tell you, you know, where to find the asbestos and what condition it's in. It could be encapsulated, so it's in a protected coating, or it could be um, as it is, but just labelled, um, but reminding people not to touch it. So it's knowing your building is the important part. So that there does need to be really good uh, relationships between the uh, maintenance team and the people who are coming in as a third party to help you um, so that nobody's accidentally exposed to asbestos risk. And asbestos can appear in, in, in for example, up until the 80s, forms of Artex on the mm. ceiling, for example, there was a form of Artex which was widely used which contains white asbestos. And so if you're doing a simple maintenance or updating job, which includes putting in some new lighting, for example, in a classroom or in another part of your school, and you are drilling into that Artex, you are likely disturbing that asbestos material. And you as a proprietor of a school, a governor trustee, you have a, an expectation to inform a contractor coming in to do that work about the location of asbestos and certainly any people using and operating and uh, occupying rooms within that school where there is asbestos are entitled to know where asbestos is. And these regulations uh, are uh, enforced through criminal sanctions. Uh, and beyond that, individuals who are affected by asbestos, which has not been properly managed, um, have a civil right of action if they end up with uh, illnesses uh, which are asbestos-related. Uh, and the statistics which are published uh, in terms of uh, the, the concerns that many teachers who have been affected over the years by asbestos in the, in the maintained school estate is staggering, really. It's, 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 quite, it's, it's, quite, it's quite significant. The problem we have, of course, is that asbestos-related illnesses take so long to manifest themselves, 20, 30 years. So, you know, the, you will find people are, will need to notify the GP that they worked on your school and disturbed asbestos whilst doing this work. And ultimately, you know, the claim is coming down the track many years later. Really, not. it's a nasty illness mm. as well. Asbestosis and lung cancers are very, very nasty illnesses. Mm. 
Yeah, I think the as as you've mentioned there, the regulations are, I think, probably fairly well known by bursars yeah. who you know it's, it's not a new problem with asbestos. Um, but you've answered my question, which was going to be about the legal consequences for non-compliance. But you've you've hit that on the head as well. I'm conscious of time, so I'm probably going to draw this to a close fairly shortly. But from anyone here, is there anything else that you think is particularly pertinent at this time around this topic for bursars to know? I suspect this is a can of worms and there's going to be more things coming along because it's not just the school building itself, but it will also be perhaps the 1960s swimming pool that you've got built or the leisure complex beside the school. And uh, we have to think in the wider perspective rather than just the you know, the classrooms. Getting that initial thorough inspection carried out is, is going to save you a lot in the future. Yeah. That's good to know. Uh, I think the internet has has robbed us of a farewell with Colin. Well, look, thank you all of you so much for coming on and talking us through this. It's a topic that I'm sure is, is well, hopefully not panicking too many people, but it's certainly on the forefront of people's minds. Uh, but you've done an unbelievable job of making that all make sense. And thank you, Rex, for joining us to to shed some, some bursarial perspectives on this. But hopefully we'll catch up again soon with some less terrifying news i hope but yeah thank you all very much for coming on and making that all make sense thank you and so there we are the end of this episode thank you very much for listening and a huge thank you to colin catherine and rex for joining me on that hopefully we've waded through some of the debris surrounding rack pardon the pun and it's all a little bit clearer if you'd still like some advice and guidance please do email the advice team at the isba.org.uk Please do share this round with members of your team if you think they'll find it useful. Otherwise, keep an eye out for our Thursday episode, which will be coming out on, surprisingly enough, Thursday, that'll include all the rest of the updates from this week. And there might be, if we're very lucky, an extra episode on Friday. So wait and see for that. Otherwise, thank you very much and farewell.